it's been well known that Adelaide's rental market has been tight for some time, but how easy is it to buy into the property market if you don't have a lot of cash? Some people like the idea of clubbing together with family or friends to get a deposit and maybe make a joint investment. Seems like a good way to get a toehold into the market, but there are some important things to consider. What do you need to be careful about if you're looking at this sort of investment? I'm joined in the studio now by our visiting lawyer, Andrew Andreev. Welcome, Andrew. Thank you. I guess one of the first things that you need to consider before you get into one of these arrangements is how you're going to get out of it. Is that important? That's right. Yep. That's where the problems arise. <laughs> so what sort of things should you consider? Well, I guess there's a number of things. There's, there's issues that you need to consider when you're thinking about getting into the arrangement, so how it's going to be set up. Then there's obviously making sure that the arrangement works while you're in the arrangement. And then it's planning for those things that change while you're in the arrangement. And that's when the exit becomes really important. Because potentially it can be very expensive if things go wrong. That's right. Yeah, if you don't, I, I don't think many people realise what their options are if things go wrong and they haven't agreed on those issues up front. And really, um, recourse to the Supreme Court is, you're there pretty quickly if, if you haven't agreed. So that's, that's usually a good incentive to think about these issues up front. I guess if you're going into one of these arrangements, you have to think about the sort of proportion of ownership that you'd like to consider, whether it's a 50-50 thing, and more importantly, decide how you can deal with other ongoing costs. It's not just the mortgage you've got to service. That's right, yeah. I think one of, when you're going into it, you need to think about what proportions, and often people think, well, that might be 50-50, or if there's three of you, it might be an equal share. Sometimes it's an unequal share, and sometimes the shares might vary depending on what people do. So you might have somebody says, okay, well, I'll put some money in, and the other guy says, well, okay, I'll come in and I'll fix up the kitchen, etc., and we'll then split it 50-50. So they might not be putting in the same amount of cash, but they might be expecting to have the same interest, which might not be documented. It's 19 to 5 on 891 Drive with Michael Smith. With us in the studio, Andrew Andreev, our principal uh, law firm agent at uh, Andreev Doman and uh, our visiting lawyer this afternoon. We're talking about buying property with family and friends. If you've got a question for Andrew, one three hundred triple two. 891. Now, when it comes to the paperwork, Andrew, is it, is it good to have everyone's name on the title for the property, or do some people prefer to be silent partners? Well, as a general rule, people do have their names on the title, but as you say, in other cases, they might say, well, I don't, I don't want to be on the title for some reason. Um, but I think that in relation to the title, there's a, there's a few things you need to think about. One is how it's recorded, whether it's a joint tenancy or a tenancy in common. That's something that comes up and some people get confused about. Um, and then in other circumstances where there's going to be more than, say, two or three people who are going to be have an interest in the property, you might even look to have a company in there or, or a trustee, um, which is going to hold the property on behalf of a number of people. And certainly if you had, say, five, six, seven people investing in it, then you might say, OK, let's get a company and have that hold it on behalf of all of us so people can come and go a little bit more easily. And is it a good idea from the outset to for all parties to indicate how long they want to remain part of this investment for and to have that in writing saying after five, eight years I'd like the opportunity to withdraw my cash, be bought out, we should be able to sell the property as co-investors. Does that sort of stuff have to be spelled out from the outset? Yeah, that, that's a, that, that really is the key thing. That's where the disputes arise and things become very expensive. So if you can agree, okay, we're going to be in this for five years and then we're going to get out, that's fine. But that's, that's quite uncommon. What usually happens is people go in with the ideas they're going to hold it for a long time and then circumstances change. So if you can agree that we're going to hold it for five years, that's great. But more importantly, you need to agree what happens if things change. What happens if, if you know, I, I get divorced or I need the money or my business doesn't work out or something like that or I lose my job? Then if you don't have an exit agreed up front, that's when things become expensive. Two out of three people might want to sell or sorry, might want to keep it and one might want to sell. Or you might have two people in the property where one wants to sell and one wants to keep it. 
So that's really where those issues arise. If that sort of situation does arise and you're not able to sort it out amongst yourselves, what sort of avenues are there for, for resolving these sort of disputes? Well, there's, there's really two avenues. One is that you've agreed a process up front, and that's obviously what we're encouraging. And the other one is that if you haven't agreed that process up front, um, you either go into a dispute or a mediation-type process where you try and agree on some sort of an exit. And if you reach a stumbling block there, then your only recourse is to go to court and have the court either you know, force a sale or, or say that the property must be sold and, and the proceeds shared between the owners. one three hundred triple two eight nine one. If you have a question for Andrew about buying property with family or friends, it can be quite a complicated thing. I guess particularly if you may have invested in a property with a brother or sister, for instance, they may be living in the house. You've got to work out who's paying the rates and ongoing maintenance and those sort of things as well. That's right, yeah. There's, there's a number of things that go towards owning a property and if there's debt on the property you've obviously got the interest payments to pay and repayments of, of the principal um, you've got the rates and taxes you've got maintenance issues and a really important one is insurance that if you've got a couple of people who own a property often one thinks the other's arranging insurance or something like that and vice versa and you might end up with a situation where the property is not insured so there's really a checklist of things that you need to go through and discuss as, as co-owners and make sure that you've got each of those issues covered. Are there other ways that people may co-invest if your name is not necessarily on the title of the property but you may lend a family member a substantial amount of money? Can you come up with some, some sort of other agreement which is considered uh, legal or some paperwork that you can refer back to in terms of lending a family member money and, and saying I'd like it back in eight, ten years? Yeah, like that, that's another very common circumstance and often with parents lending a deposit to a, to a kid or, or siblings. Um, even friends or business partners might be lending money to, to buy a property. And a lot of these things don't ever get documented. So the issue of interest, repayment terms, somebody needs their money back and they mm. say, I don't want my money back. And they go, sorry, you know, don't have it at the moment. And that might force a sale of the property. Um, and then the other thing is, a very dangerous one, is if the person that you've lent the money to goes bankrupt or maybe has a marriage breakdown or a de facto partnership breakdown and the... The, the property gets taken and you've effectively lent money in and you've got no rights to get that money back. It can get very complicated and destroy mm. long-lasting friendships and even between siblings and things. Yeah. Uh, George has given us a call on 1300 222 It's a quarter to five on 891 Drive. Andrew Andreev is our visiting lawyer. We're talking about buying property with family and friends. Hello, George. What's your question? Uh, yes, suppose you've done the right thing and you have an agreement to go to mediation or dispute resolution and then uh, upon upon uh, problems arising, one party won't go to dispute resolutions. Yes, that, that is an issue. I guess what, what you've done by having the agreement is that you've, you've really mapped out what the resolution is going to be. Now, if, if one party isn't going to play ball and they're saying, OK, I know I've agreed that, but I'm actually not going to do it, what you're asking the court to do then is enforce something you've already agreed rather than come up with a solution for you. And it may be that in that context, it may be just a simple collection of a debt if you've lent money to someone who's bought a property. Um, or it might be you know, a circumstance where um, arrangements are made to pay expenses or something like that. So, I mean, you are right, George, in the sense that um, an agreement doesn't necessarily get you all the way there, but it will certainly save you a lot of grief by having those issues mapped out so that you're really looking just to enforce that agreement rather than come up with a solution from, from scratch. George, thank you for your question. Uh, a comment on our text line from Arthur saying, consider the first homeowner's grant, but I guess for a lot of people that's simply not enough. So this idea of helping out family and friends is probably more common than a lot of us realise in terms of getting that initial deposit together, getting that chip on the, the monopoly board, so to speak. Yeah, in, fa in fact, I think it's, I have been in forums where I've asked the question, who owns a property on their own? And that's really the exception, not the rule. So 
Um, you know, the obvious parties are if you've got, um, you know, um, husband and wife or de facto partners, but there's actually also a, a significant number of more scenarios where people own property together. Presumably uh, the legal disputes can run for years if these sort of arrangements turn bad when people seek compensation, for instance, uh, of being forced to sell a property in what might be an otherwise flat market. They, they're losing money on the deal through no fault of their own. Um, How has that sort of compensation worked out? Um, it's It's not... I guess that um, formulaic or, or, or exact, um, that is another thing that people miss opportunities. So for example, um, somebody wants to get out and they enter into a, a long protracted, you know, protracted dispute. Mm. Um, the issue for them is they might miss an opportunity to sell a property or the reason they might need the money you know, becomes pressing and they might go bankrupt or you know, they, they might miss another opportunity outside the ownership of that property. So. Once again, to have that exit mapped out at the outset, you're going to avoid a lot of those issues. Have you come across a lot of situations where people have gone ahead thinking we've been great mates for 20 years, this is going to be great, it's a share house situation, yep. one of them goes off and gets married or you know, the situation changes, they move into state, they lose their job and it all ends in tears? Yeah, and that, that's really where I start when, when a client comes in and talks about buying a property with somebody. I say, look, this isn't really a legal process, this is a process about maintaining a relationship with the person that you're buying the property with and that's the key thing because invariably circumstances will change. That's, that's a certainty. And what we're trying to do is, is anticipate as many of those potential changes and circumstances that are going to come up and make sure that there's a map, a roadmap for people to maintain that relationship out through the exit of the property. It's 11 to 5. Uh, my guest in the studio, Andrew Andreev, principal of the law firm Andreev Doman. one three hundred triple two eight nine one is the number to call. Of course, all the advice is of a general nature today, not personal professional advice. Ian's given us a call at Golden Grove. Hello, Ian. Uh, hi. Look, I've got a question uh, regarding uh, if can a title be arranged so that there can be two parties uh, on the title and one is able to sell uh, their share of the title um, with no reference to the other? Um, that's an arrangement called an undivided part title. So it, it is possible and... Um, uh, there has been uh, there's, there's been a number of um, properties that have been bought in that in that manner around Adelaide that I'm aware of. Um, so basically, each person's interest in the property, although it's not an entire interest, it's it's, it's sort of a part interest, but that part interest is recognised in its own title. It's called an undivided part title. Um, so that that is possible. The 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 downside, I guess, or the issues that come up in that particular arrangement, is that if you take that title to a bank. They'll say, oh, that's really nice. I can see you've got a, a discrete title there, but the market for that part title is not the same market it would be for the full title. So they'll still look for an arrangement in place between all the part title owners so that if the bank needs to enforce security or something like that, they can deal with the full property and get the full value for that property. But um, in, in short answer to your question, yes, that arrangement is possible. Ian, thank you for your thoughts. And uh, finally to Des. Hello, Des. Yes, what, what happens if you've got all these agreements but one of the half owners will not leave the premises and uh, sort of implying that they'll do damage in the last minute to scotch a settlement? Uh, yeah, you're in a difficult situation there and I, I guess it's, it's half a legal answer and it's, it's half a, I guess, a practical commercial response. Um, you will theoretically have recourse against them for the, for the damage that they cause. Um, but you know that's I guess um, you know not not a lot a lot of comfort. Um, but yes, I mean it, it, it's a, it's a difficult situation because as an as an owner in the property, um, they do have rights to to occupy 
um, the whole of the property until such time as they're not. And really you're looking for additional laws over the top of just property law um, to protect your interests there and then, then recover um, damages to the extent you can that, um, that they haven't done the right thing. Gee, it can get messy. Thank you, Des. <laughs> and uh, Craig, you have a question for Andrew as well. Yeah, I'm just wondering if Andrew can comment on the, uh, the issues associated with joint and several borrowing when one party stops paying. Um, yes, that's another issue that we see. I mean, at the end of the day, banks are, are reluctant or almost um, won't uh, lend on a several basis, which means, let's say, for the benefit of other people, if you've got three owners, um, that the bank will say, the bank will, will be hesitant to say, well, look, I'll only look to recover a third from each of the owners. What the bank will say is, we want all three owners to be responsible for all of the debt. So if one of the owners falls over or, or isn't meeting their part, the other owners need to pick up the slack there. Um, so um, there's a, there is a right um, in, in law for the, the owners that have paid the amount to recover from the other owner, but obviously that's not going to be a lot of comfort if the other owner's gone bankrupt or just doesn't have the ability to pay. But um, I mean, one of the things we can, you, know, you can look at there is that uh, the, the owners who've met their side of the bargain can actually recover the amounts they've paid from the capital or principal that the third owner's invested into the property. So there are things that you can do to mitigate that issue. It's a very valuable advice, Andrew. And uh, again, work out how you're going to get out of it before you get into it. That's really the key. <laughs> That's the key. Andrew, Andrea, thank you very much for coming in today. Thank you.